You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Today is week six, the final week of our Called Out teaching series. And really, we've been learning what it looks like to be the people that God has called us to be. And today we're talking about second chances. To start off, I want to ask you to rate yourself on a scale of one to ten of how good of a driver are you. I think most people would probably you know, say that they are a good driver. I would say I'm a good driver, uh, but the thing is I can prove it. Uh, I have a perfect record. I've uh, never gotten a speeding ticket. I only have one or two parking violations you know, where I just missed getting back after feeding the meter. And I only have one crash. Uh, and so I want to share with you the story of my one crash. And this is the time that I backed up into a parked car. This is the summer before my freshman year of college. So I'm fresh out of high school, 18 years old, and I'm working at a carpet warehouse. Uh, it's called Floorcraft Carpet One. And basically what I would do is I would use the forklift to take these massive rolls of carpet, take them over to a machine, unroll and, and cut you know, segments of carpet, load it up in a box truck, and then deliver it to a job site. And so this particular day, uh, I had just delivered a load of carpet to a job site. And, and it's on a quiet neighborhood, quiet street, and I back up this box truck. And, and if you've ever driven a box truck, maybe you've rented a U-Haul, right? It's the same kind of thing, where there's no rear view mirror right there. You just have the side mirrors. And so I'm backing up, and then I hear it, you know, like a crunch. And I'm like, oh, no. So I pull forward, and everyone knows that moment, right? That sinking feeling. I pull forward, I get out to inspect the damage, and what I find is right in my blind spot was this just junky, old, broken down car. So I'm like thanking the Lord that this is not some super nice vehicle. Yeah, you know, a few of the windows were already broken out, had a flat tire, just rust everywhere. And uh, while I'm inspecting it, this older guy, uh, a passerby on his bike, saw this whole thing happen. And he gets off his bike and he starts yelling at me, telling me all the problems with my generation, you know, and stuff, and making sure I leave a note. So maybe the Lord provided uh, someone to keep me honest in that moment. But I, I, I'm inspecting the car, and miraculously, the only part that I hit on this already, you know, broken down beater of a car is the corner of the bumper on the box truck hit exactly on the rubber part of one of the tires that was not flat. And so I didn't have like any body damage, anything, you know, I just had like nudged the car essentially. And so I was like, but still I felt so, you know, bad about this. You know, I wrote a note. I said, I work at the carpet place. Here's the number, call the office. And, you know, we'll let the insurance company handle it from there. So I, I drove back to the warehouse. And the reason I want to tell you this story is uh, when I got back to the warehouse, I was received in two different ways by two different people. Uh, one of the people who uh, found out about you know, the crash, uh, he was a salesman. I don't even remember his name. Maybe I blocked it out from my memory. But he was a salesman. And he would not let me live it down. In fact, the rest of the summer, he called me Crash as a nickname. And you know, he was, would laugh at me and ridicule me. And he just made me feel like the scum of the earth, right? And then there was my boss, and this is the more important person uh, that I had to interact with. And I was like 
certain that he was going to not let me drive the box truck or he's going to take my keys away for the forklift or maybe even worst case scenario you know these are all buzzing around in your head when you're driving back from something like that maybe he would even fire me you know I don't didn't think I was a super necessary person in the warehouse anyways and so I got back and I remember I was just had this sick to my stomach feeling and I'm telling him the story and I'm like there shouldn't be much damage I hope it's not going to be bad for the company you know as it would turn out the guy who owned the car tried to like take the insurance company for all it was worth and tried to get all the other stuff fixed anyways that's another story but I'm telling him this stuff and I'm just feeling so, you know, like guilty and, and ashamed. And I'll never forget the way that he responded to me. Uh, my, my boss, his name was Brian. He said, well, Josh, these things happen. And he handed me the keys to the forklift and he said, get back to work. And that to me was one of those tangible moments where I got to experience a second chance. I was expecting a reprimand or a lecture or, or to get yelled at or a punishment. And instead, what I received was a second chance. And the thing is, there's power in people who give second chances. And there's power even for us, maybe even in this series where you felt like with community and relationships, there's been things that maybe you've been convicted about in this series. Well, the good news is we have a God of the second chance that God gives us second chances and his mercies are new every morning. So today we're going to be looking at how we can experience those second chances from God and how we can not just believe in a God who is a God of a second chance, but we can be people of a second chance as well. So we are going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at Saul's transformation. And this is really a significant uh, passage where Saul encounters the resurrected Jesus. But I don't want to go uh, too far into the beginning of the story because next week we're going to look at Saul's transformation as we begin our Ephesians teaching series. And I would just, you know, another quick promo for the Ephesians teaching series. Uh, it is going to be a phenomenal series to go through a whole Bible book. There's going to be some great accompanying resources and awesome stuff that we do over the summer. But here's what I would invite you to do is to invite someone to join you along that journey as we go through Ephesians. I think, you know, whenever we do a brand new uh, series, the beginning of a series is really a great opportunity to invite someone. And there's a lot of people right now who are just out of the habit of going to church or out of the habit uh, of, of, you know, uh, studying scripture and spiritual practices. And maybe you know someone like that and you would just invite them. You would just say, hey, my church is going through Ephesians for the summer. I'd love for you to join me, you know, invite them to watch online with you, maybe even meet up with them and, and start a study with them chapter by chapter, or maybe even to invite them to show up on a Sunday. But that's my uh, invitation for you is to invite someone to, to join us as we journey through Ephesians as a church. But today what I want to focus on is actually the events not that led to Saul's conversion. And by the way, if I say Saul or Paul, it's the same guy. They're two names for the same guy. Uh, it, not that led to Saul's conversion, but actually what comes at the end of Acts chapter 9. There's, there's a story here at the end that often gets overlooked, but I think there's incredible power to our story. So we're going to go ahead and start off. Uh, let's jump in in Acts chapter 9, and we'll go ahead and start off in verse 15. This is God speaking to Ananias. Ananias is the guy who baptized Saul. He tells Ananias this, go, go to Saul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, this is a calling. This is a calling. And, and, and God tells Ananias what the ministry of Saul is going to look like. He's going to be, an, on the one hand, an apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to be, and maybe you know, you know all the history of, he's going to write most of the New Testament letters. He's going to plant all these different churches. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom of heaven. And yet what we don't always realize is, you know, Acts chapter 9 happens, and then we just keep reading, and these events, like, you know, go really fast. But sometimes, just because an event takes place the next paragraph in Scripture, it doesn't necessarily mean it happened the next day. In fact, what happens is Saul is in Damascus, and he actually stays there for three years. And he has this growth period where he is ministering in the synagogues, and he's he's convincing people. It says he's proving to people that Jesus is the Christ. And so this would have been a time where, where Saul is growing and even learning more about Christianity, learning more about Jesus. You know, he's an expert in Jewish law, uh, but, but maybe he's learning and developing his Christian theology. And so uh, he has really, as we'll see a little bit today, but if you want to read more about it, a ministry of suffering. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where, where Saul's life is really characterized, not just by the great ministry success he has, but even the suffering that he has along the way. And today, we're going to see three different rejections. And the first rejection that Saul faces is he faces rejection from the Jews in Damascus. So he's there for three years. He's, he's ministering in the synagogues. He's, he's proving to Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And he's gaining some traction. There's disciples. Uh, there's multiplication. There's, there's a movement of the Spirit. But then what happens is after three years, there's opposition from the Jews. And in fact, there's a plot against his life, and he finds out about it. And he has to be lowered outside of the city wall. He can't even go through the main city gate. He has to be lowered outside the city wall in a basket, just humiliating, right? And he's on the run for his life. And so where does he decide to go? He decides to go down to Jerusalem to join up for the very first time, to join up with the apostles. Now we have to remember, before we jump into our main text for today, that one of the last times we saw Saul in Jerusalem is he was standing there approving of the first martyr, approving of the fact that the Hellenistic Jews were killing Stephen. And so, so Saul formally, before he you know, met Jesus and, and converted, and now he's a, a minister or a missionary, before all of that, he was this really zealous Jew who was persecuting Christians. And so we have to keep that in mind as we read our main teaching text today. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he, that Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. That means they didn't believe he was a genuine disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who had spoke to him, and how at Damascus... He had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed the Hellenists. That's the Hellenistic Jews or the Greek-speaking Jews. And they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
So here we see the second and the third rejection that Saul faces already. You know, he, he's just become a follower of Jesus. And in the first three years, he's rejected by the Jews in Damascus. And then the second rejection, he's rejected by the apostles. I mean, he's trying to turn over a new leaf. And he's had three years, right? He's kind of let the dust settle from his old life. And you'd think in three years, there would be some forgiveness from the apostles. But he gets there and they don't even want to talk to him. They don't even want to see him. He's probably staying in his sister's house. We know Saul had a sister who lived in Jerusalem. So he goes down there. He's staying with his sister, but he's trying to, to get in conversations. Like you know, he, his emails keep getting deleted. Uh, he's not getting a, you know, a return from the voicemail, right? He, he can't see them because they're afraid of him, frankly. And that's the second rejection. But then Barnabas sticks up for him, takes him under his wing, and, and introduces him to the apostles. And then the third rejection, he's rejected by the Hellenistic Jews. Now, here's a little bit of uh, paradox for you. This is the same group that killed Stephen three years earlier and that Saul was there holding their jackets for them while they were doing so. Saul was there approving of what they were doing. And now Saul is preaching against them, right? So he's turned against them. And and once again, so this rejection leads to, you know, they say, oh, so you're on the other side. Well, we're going to do to you exactly what we did to Stephen. And so they now have a plot to kill him. And he has to be sent home to Tarsus, which is his hometown, which is way far up north uh, in Cilicia. And it's far enough up north that his enemies aren't going to follow him. You know, he's not in danger. It's even further past Damascus, but it's close enough to his connections and his family that he can actually be taken care of. So, So that's what's going on in the story. But here's what I would ask you. Where do you see yourself in this story? There's three main characters. And what I want to do is I really want us to enter into this story. And today, just where you're at in your life, just ask yourself the question, where do you see yourself in this story? You know, what character in the story do you relate to the most? And for each character, each of the three main characters, there's a key need. And so I want you to identify which one of these guys do you relate to and and what is the key need that you need to practice and grow in, in your life. So the first character, the obvious one, is Saul. Saul is looking for a second chance. That's what he wants. He's looking for a second chance. He's, he, he's looking for, for someone to uh, let the past be the past. He, and yet he can't escape the past in some ways because of all the horrible things he's done, persecuting Christians and all of the rest. The past just won't let him go. In fact, in Paul's own words, you can read more about the same account in Galatians chapter 1. Paul actually uh, rephrases and retells what happens. This is the sentiment about Saul Uh, At at this time, he says this, this is the saying, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So that's the news about Saul that's going around the community. So he used to persecute us, now he's preaching, and and he used to try and destroy it, right? And so this is really, we could say it's it's unbelievable. This is unbelievable. In one sense, I mean, like, I might be a little bit sketched out. I might be a little bit suspect of someone who, you know, was try, you know, trying to shut down our church or, right, even seek harm for my life or my family's life. And then all of a sudden they're like, actually, could we have dinner? You know, like that. It's, it's unbelievable in a way. And yet what we also need to look at is this is unbelievably strong evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't know a better explanation 
uh, outside of the actual you know, resurrection and the evidence and the eyewitness themselves for the resurrection and the gospel. I don't know a better uh, proof than actually the conversion of Saul. Because if you think about it, uh, he had nothing to gain from becoming a Christian. He had only everything to lose, right? He was an apostle of, of suffering, had a ministry of suffering. And yet, this zealous enemy of Christianity actually met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that, to me, that is one of the most compelling evidences and proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Saul is here. People aren't believing him. He's, he's here. He's in Jerusalem. And you know, he's already on the run for his life you know, because of ministry. He's, he's experiencing persecution. But, but he's not just experiencing persecution from the outside. Now, he's not even accepted within the church. He, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have anyone who's willing to stick their neck out for him. So here's his key need. And maybe for you, if you can relate to this, this is your key need. He needs grace from God and the Christian community. He needs grace from God and he needs grace from the Christian community. Now, he's already experienced grace from God. Uh, he's already experienced forgiveness of sins. But, but in, in times like these where we experience a rejection from people, sometimes we even begin to doubt the grace that we have from God. Well, that person, you know, they're still heaping shame on me. They're not letting my past, uh, they're not letting me live down the past, right? And, and, and so sometimes we even can transfer our thoughts of that to God. Well, maybe God doesn't really forgive me, right? And so what, what, what we really need, and maybe for you, you're in this moment where your, your life uh, you've made a lot of mistakes, where it's full of brokenness, where, where there's so many things, you know, you, you feel like you have a heavy past and there's lots of baggage and there's, there's brokenness and there's sin. Maybe this past year has been a difficult year, maybe even a dry season in your faith with all that's going on in the world. And I would just say to you, maybe you're looking for a second chance. The good news is there is grace from God. His mercies are new every single morning that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse you from sin. Uh, to, and God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you need, also need grace from the Christian community. Maybe for you, it's just that you're lonely. It's just that you're not a part of a community that can encourage you and pray for you and lay a hand on your shoulder or hug you and sit with you when you're weeping and mourning. And you need grace from God and the Christian community as well, I want to invite you. I, I hope that, that Hill City Church can be the community of grace for you. I hope that Hill City Church can be the church community, but you have to actually be willing to enter into that community. You have to be willing to actually sit face-to-face with someone, to maybe even join a life group or to, or to, you know, to initiate relationships, right? And, and you've got to knock on that door and, and, and be willing to enter into someone's home. And so I would just invite you to do that. Whatever that step looks like for you to, to go more and more into relationship. We have park days coming up this summer, and that's a great opportunity we have. But even beyond that, what are the ways that God is calling you deeper into Christian community? And then for you, if you've never responded to the good news of the gospel, I want to invite you to respond to the gospel. For Saul, the message he preached was so simple. Jesus is the Christ. And he was just convincing people of that, even before he had this in-depth you know, theology that we see later in the New Testament letters, that he just believed Jesus is the Christ. And he was already out there winning people to the Lord. And I would just say that to you, Jesus is the Christ. He's the king of the universe. And he died on the cross for your sins. He rose uh, once again, and he can raise you up into a new life. And so I would just invite you 
to pray, asking God to forgive your sins and to lead your life. And baptism is this beautiful ceremony where we commit our lives to following Jesus for the rest of our lives. But then it's also one of the things baptism represents is it represents washing away the sins from our life. It it represents this this bath of washing away all of the brokenness and the guilt and the shame. And if you've never been baptized, I would just encourage you. That can be a tangible way you even experience that, that grace. And, and so you can, you can look for more information about baptism at hillcityboise.org slash baptism. But I want to call on you and invite you to put your faith in Jesus and respond to the good news of the gospel today. That's your core need, grace from God and the Christian community. The second character is Peter. Now, Peter has been hurt before. And I say Peter, in Acts 9, it just says the apostles. He went and tried to to join all of the apostles. In Galatians 1, uh, Paul himself zeroes in and says it's actually Peter and James are kind of the two guys. James, the brother of Jesus, he's one of the head guys in the church in Jerusalem. And then Peter, of course, is, you know, the head, the lead apostle. And so let's just focus in on Peter for a moment. Peter, in John 21, he had made his own mistakes, right? He had denied Christ a few times. And yet in in John 21, he's sitting there with the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus tells him to to feed his sheep and to tend the sheep. And, And so Peter has this burden to protect the flock. And yet he's seen with his own eyes, perhaps, Stephen getting brutally murdered, right? And so he's been hurt before. And, and he has this, this burden and this weight. And, and so, you know, we could say in some senses, maybe he becomes a little bit cynical. Maybe he becomes a little bit pessimistic. I mean, he, in Acts chapter 7, it's just this brutal murder of Stephen, who Peter knew, right? He was a friend of his, a co-worker of his. Like, Stephen was a deacon in the church. And so Peter has this mentality, and maybe you've even said these words, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so Peter knows that Saul was one of the bad guys. He was an enemy of the church. And we even see during the ministry of Jesus a little bit of Peter's attitude. And in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, it says this, Then Peter came up to him, that's to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, Uh, seven times, but 77 times. So here, this is is amazing. Uh, You know, Peter, he's wrestling with this. How many chances do I need to give someone? How many times do I need to show someone grace and forgive them? Like as many as seven. And Jesus says, what about 77 times? Now, the number isn't really important, right? We're, we're calling today's uh, message second chances. For Jesus, maybe he would title this sermon 77th chances. Uh, but really, it's not as much about the number as it is about the heart posture. And really, this brings the core need that Peter has. What Peter needs is he needs healing from God to soften his heart. And maybe that's your key need. You need healing from God to soften your heart. Maybe you have been in a spot where, you know, you've been fooled once or twice, where you've been hurt by someone else, where, where it's, not, it's not that you're the one who feels like, you know, you have a bunch of guilt or a bunch of baggage. It's the other people in your life. And, you know, you want to just protect yourself. You want to guard your heart. And there's certainly wisdom. There's wisdom to boundaries. There's wisdom to, to, to a certain degree of that. 
But there's also a level where our boundaries actually be, almost become a wall. And we actually build this, these walls around our hearts and we become hardened and calloused. And if that's you today, then here's what you, what, how, you can, uh, how you can work on that core need. Is you can pray for healing. You can ask God to be the one to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's really that work of healing is a work of the spirit that only God can do. Uh, you can forgive the person who has wronged you and find freedom in that. We are not just expected to, but we are empowered to forgive people because of the forgiveness we have experienced from God. And so I would just challenge you, if there's someone, if there's unforgiveness or bitterness in your life, you don't, you, you don't necessarily have to become best friends. We talked about this last week. Reconciliation is not always possible. It's a different sermon. But forgiveness is always expected for those who have been forgiven by God. And so you can forgive. And what you're going to find is when you actually cancel the debt, when you identify what the person owe you, owes you, how they've wronged you, and you decide to cancel the debt, you take them off your hook, you leave them on God's hook. What happens is you actually experience freedom from that. You, re- you thought you were keeping them in a jail cell and you find out you were actually the one behind bars the whole time. And another way that we can, we can allow God to soften our heart is really just even through sharing our difficult emotions. Sharing those emotions like fear and stress and worry and anger and sadness. And we can share those in prayer, and that's just a vulnerable posture with God in prayer. But it's also the importance of having community, to to talk to other people, to talk to trusted friends or mentors or your life group, just about how you're really doing. And there's healing, and there's actually a softness and a tilling of the soil of our hearts that God does. I remember uh, a time when I uh, saw a counselor a few years back, and maybe even seeing a counselor would be a good thing if you feel like the pain that's going on in your heart is just so incredibly deep. And I was seeing this counselor, and I was talking to him about a new boss that I had, and uh, it's no one here. You, you don't, no, one, no one here even knows the person, right? But I was talking about a new boss, and you know, he just said, well, how do you feel about that, you know, this guy? And I said, well, to be honest, I'm just a naturally skeptical person. And he caught me right there, kind of called me on it and said, well, Josh, listen, no one is born skeptical or cynical. In fact, he said this, if you can't trust people, it's because a person has broken your trust. And then he was like, so let me ask you this question. Who has broken your trust? And then, you know, just like everything came out, right? And uh, that's, that's what a good counselor can do. But I would just say that to you as well. Maybe you've been, kind of, you've been kind of excusing your hardness of heart by just saying, that's just part of my personality. That's just who I, I'm just a, I'm just a pessimistic person. I'm just a cynical person. I'm just skeptical, right? And, and, and would you allow the Holy Spirit to do the work on you that, that Peter needed the Holy Spirit to do on him? And that's to soften his heart because there's so much power that comes from what happens next. Look at what uh, New Testament scholar Mark Moore says. He says, one can only wonder how many Pauls have been lost through the lack of a Barnabas. I wonder... How many people uh, who God has been calling into ministry and mission or God has been wanting to use for his purposes, they never got that far because they weren't welcomed into a loving and accepting church community. And so that brings us really to the third character. That's Barnabas. Barnabas believes the best. I love Barnabas. He's one of my favorite characters in scripture. In fact, I pray, I hope that I would be more like Barnabas. I don't think I'm naturally a Barnabas, right? In fact, his name originally was not Barnabas. It was Joseph. Look, look at what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, 
who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So imagine that. Imagine being such an encouraging person that people actually don't call you by your name anymore. They call you encourager. They call you someone who, who uplifts. And, and you see this consistently from Barnabas throughout Scripture. I mean, we see this here where he, he sticks his neck out for Saul. Uh, you see in Acts chapter 4 that he sells his own property and he donates money to people who need it the most. Later on in Acts, he would actually have a disagreement with Saul about John Mark. And Saul says, listen, John Mark, he's not, he doesn't have the courage that it takes to go with us on this missionary journey. And Barnabas would say, I'm going to stick up for him. And that actually caused a division between Saul and Barnabas because Barnabas was so willing to stand up and be an advocate for someone who is in need. And for us, what we need to realize is Barnabas does this in Acts chapter 9. He sticks up for Paul at incredible personal risk. I mean, what if Saul is lying? And if Saul is lying, then Barnabas, his actual life could be in danger. The life of his family and friends could be in danger. So that's like the worst case scenario. At best, you know, if it doesn't work out with Saul, Barnabas would have broken trust and and broken rank with the apostles, right? He would be disobeying Peter's orders not to associate with Saul, right? And so this is at an incredible personal risk and personal cost. And yet Barnabas says, I don't care. I believe this guy. And, and Barnabas spends time with Saul and he looks him in the eyes and he listens to his story and he believes him. He believes the best. And he not only gains a future missionary partner and a ministry partner you know, to go and plant churches with, he gains a lifelong best friend. And so here's Barnabas's need. Every single one of these three characters has a need. The need for Barnabas is to use your gift to build up the church. That's, that's your need. If you find yourself, maybe you're an encouraging person. Maybe you have a soft heart. But you're just not using that gift. Use your gift of encouragement and uplifting and, and praying for people and believing the best and, and, and building community and spending time and, and sitting across the table. Use your gift to build up the church. We need to stop kind of minimizing, you know, gifts that don't fit into a Sunday service because Barnabas, right, he's not, you know, preaching a sermon in the text. He's not leading worship. He's not doing these kind of things that we kind of think as, you know, typical roles in the church. And yet God uses Barnabas in a powerful way. We can say it like this. Without Barnabas, there is no Apostle Paul. There is no Apostle Paul. Maybe Saul would, you know, go and do ministry and still have, you know, some kind of, uh, still some kind of following. But there is no, you know, churches planted all around the world. There, there is no New Testament letters. I love how R. Kent Hughes puts the ministry of Barnabas. Uh, he says this, How beautiful is the ministry of Barnabas, giving a word of encouragement, confirming others' gifts, reconciling believers with believers taking a risk for Christ in human relationships, promoting the ministry of others, rejoicing in another's success. God mightily uses men and women like Barnabas for his glory. And maybe for you, you just needed to hear that and be encouraged. If you have those kinds of of encouraging gifts, to really fan the flame on those gifts and to begin using those gifts because we have a world that's full of anger. It's full of bitterness. It's full of division right now. And the church needs to counteract that by being full of people who are just like Barnabas, to be a son or a daughter of encouragement. 
And then look what happens as a result. This is actually comes at the very end of the second main movement in the book of Acts. Look what happens as a result uh, of the apostles accepting Saul in their midst and everything. It happens right here in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. And so really God is calling us to be what we can call people of the second chance. Now I didn't coin that term. There's actually a movement called people of the second chance and they create you know, resources for helping people find freedom, fighting addiction, that sort of thing. But we are called to be people of the second chance. And here we see what happens when we do that. So here's our main point for today. People of the second chance help the church go deeper and wider. They help the church go deeper and wider. And we see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. This is really the conclusion of the second major movement where the book of Acts follows this, where, where Jesus said that the gospel will go into Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And in, in the second movement, we see the gospel in Judea and Samaria, right? We see Saul in Damascus. We, we see, you know, the gospel spreading beyond the Jerusalem church. And it's just going to go even further than that. It's going to multiply. And so when, when God's people are people of the second chance, we will go deeper in peace. We'll have a deeper sense of peace. We'll go deeper in our fear of the Lord and our understanding our relationship with God. And we'll go deeper in the comfort we receive and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we will go wider. We will multiply as we see the gospel reach more people in more places. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.